Kyrie Irving was back in Boston last night for the first round of the NBA playoffs. He was seen several times giving Boston fans the one, or as the case may be, double-barreled salute in response to chants along the lines of Kyrie sucks. Now, I'm from New Jersey like Kyrie Irving. That's the Jersey State bird. So, I mean, we, we show that finger <laughs> as much as we say hello to each other in that state. Uh, okay, I haven't heard anything from him. Hi. Hello. Bud Adams. Hey, it's Bud Adams. <laughs> the Eastern Goldfinch, if I, you were paying close attention, yes. is the actual Jersey State bird. It's a great so bird. You, you had a chance when your guy Chris Christie was running the state, you blew it. Well, what do you what do you mean? I had a chance. What do you mean? Like, what what were you saying? He was there? the governor. I mean, he had control. He knew how to shut down bridges and stuff. He could have changed <laughs> the Jersey State bird to the middle You're finger. Right. That was your chance. You're right. I could. I have had a few run-ins with Chris Christie, who's you know actually a pretty funny guy. I should I should have took that up with him. That would have been funny to see. Uh, the eastern goldfinch is a very pretty bird, though. It really is. It's a nice bird. So it's good that we have a nice yellow black bird. That's great. And then we got the other bird. To let you know you're officially in New Jersey as soon as you reach our highways or any mass transit area. <laughs> By the way, EJ, well done with the Bud Adams video yeah, pool. Yeah, that is amazing still. That 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 clip, and look, I, he was advancing in age he at was the up time. There. Yeah, he was up there. That's a point where the filter goes away, and I look forward to those days. Because I don't have much of a filter as it is. I'm kind of not counting the days to that because then you don't have many days left to count. But by then you don't really know what's going on. But the the idea that he would take the fully loaded middle fingers, and I'm almost doing it for <laughs> just to demonstrate, and he was showing to the partisan fans of the Titans what he was planning to show to the opponents. He's like, hey, folks, look at these two middle fingers. I'm about to show them to those folks over there, and then he would pivot and do the double-barreled middle finger, and then he got fined at one point like two hundred fifty grand for the double-barreled middle finger thing. So, you know, Chris, I what, what is that? I age, have, I have seen the future, right, right. and it is you. I, I it is you. <laughs> yeah, seriously. I mean, no, but it, it is funny. I can remember my grandmother being the same way. Like she hit an age where it just was like, say, she was still, you know, with it mentally. Uh, this is my mom's mom, Nani, we called her. But, like, she had a, 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 I would say, you know, she went, hit a point of just, I don't give a crap. And it just, it didn't matter what it was. You could be driving in the car in a 25 mile per hour spot, and she'd be going 55. And you'd go, Grant, and she just wouldn't care. Nani'd be like, oh, screw it, I gotta go. I mean, what is that about that age, or what is that age that finally says the hell with everything? I think it's a sliding scale that hits yeah. on a Right. A variety of factors. And I can tell you from personal experience, my mom, when she got sick, she was 55 when she was first diagnosed with ovarian cancer. And after she went through the ringer for six months to a year, she started to give zero Fs. Yeah, right. And not, not, that, not that she was one to bite her tongue anyway. And frankly, I got a lot of me from her. But she got to a point where she just didn't give a crap anymore. And I think part of it is once you go through something like that and you're staring death in the face every single day, you you uh, you start to tell it like it is because you don't have many more days left to tell it. Yeah, so I think, I think it's so. a combination of age and health. But uh, 
Uh, yes, uh, filter is removed at some point, and that would be the point that we are removed. All right, let's get it going. Up yours for you. Getting, let's go. I've been getting, I've been getting a little looser lately. I've been letting the s bombs fly. Yeah, in the moment, like I won't premeditate it, but I am letting it fly in the moment. And here we go. This was <laughs> Phil Murphy. Just on April 1, I just signed an executive order changing the New Jersey <laughs> State funny. bird to the middle finger. That was April 1 of this year. That's good. That's a good April Fool's joke. That How did is. we miss that one? I don't know. Of all the stupid-ass April Fool's gags out there, that's the one that was actually funny. That was pretty good. It really, it's, it's a thing. I mean, anybody up in this area, it, it becomes a thing, especially in New Jersey where uh, we're kind of proud of it. We're New Jersey, we're, we're the, like – the stepbrother to New York. So we have an insecurity about us in that state. So everything is always like up yours, up yours, what, you know, F you, this. That's the way New Jersey people are. And I do think that's because we're, you know, constantly crapped on or looked at as like the little brother next to New York. I, I don't know, frankly, based on the way things have been going in New York City lately, I think Newark may be a step up right now. <laughs> okay, yeah, tell them, Mike. That's a, Jersey, that's Jersey. <laughs> that's a different issue altogether. <laughs> Seriously. Let's get to the news. we got a couple of hours minus about five minutes to get you up to speed on everything that's happening in the National Football League. And, of course, we're nine days away from the draft, so plenty is happening. And in Cleveland – Members of the 2018 first-round draft class are getting paid. Not Baker Mayfield. Not Baker Mayfield. No thanks on Baker Mayfield, the guy they took with the fourth overall pick that year. Cornerback Denzel Ward, he agrees to a five-year extension. Five years, $100.5 million with $71.25 million guaranteed. We know the drill by now. We know that the initial numbers should be taken with many grains of salt. I was trying to get the real numbers last night. I was told they were still finalizing the contract, and the official numbers will be available today. When we get them, you'll get them, you'll see them, and we'll break it down. Whatever it is, good, bad, or otherwise, whatever the truth is. But we know by now that the stuff we get from the information robots who rush to Twitter at the speed of 280 characters to tell us what they're told by the agent who is trying to make it look as good as possible when in Rome, they understand it's an occupational hazard to pass this stuff along. That's what happens. So set it aside. We'll break it down. Either way, he got paid. Either way, it was enough for him. It was enough for the Browns. And now he's under contract well into the future, Chris. Yeah. Well, I, you know, again, it, it, it shows a little like, you know, how you started it off. I'll just piggyback off that. Baker Mayfield, same draft class. Here you go. I got a guy three picks later. They re-signed him, right, I mean, because he's done everything right in their eyes, and he's played really well in the football field. I mean, Denzel Ward, I don't know if I would sit there and necessarily go, oh, I think he's the best corner in football, but I understand having him in that conversation. He's top 10, that's for sure. And, of course, when you're a homegrown talent and done all the things the right way, went to Ohio State, you don't have a – you know, a marquee corner on your roster right now. He's that guy. They don't come, you know, easy in the NFL. I understand it. It's a smart investment. Get out in front of it right now. And it's a really good defense, too, there in Cleveland. We've talked about that. They got talent. So, yeah, it's a high number. He's the new highest paid corner. You're right until we see the details. Uh, but also at the same time, you know, I think it's one of those where it's probably smart for Cleveland, too. 
Well, with that defense, with the chaos they can create, Denzel Ward has the year he has last year and gets three or four more picks to add it on top of it, he's going to want a number that maybe is even more astronomical than this. So I think it was good all around, certainly, and, and Denzel Ward certainly deserving to be in this conversation for highest paid corner. Five-year extension with one year left, that puts him under contract for six more years. And yeah. the way these deals typically work, the first two or three they will be honored by both sides. We get into the final three years. That's when the team has the option to keep going or to tear it up. And if the cap keeps going up and up and up the way that it did this year, that's going to be a pretty good deal from the Browns' perspective. That's when Denzel Ward may say, hey, how about we tear it up here and and do something else? So that's just going to be part of the ever-churning reality of the NFL. We're always going to be looking three years out, four years out, five years out. Where will the cap be? How will these deals look? So we'll see. Once we get the full breakdown of the Denzel Ward deal, we'll have an idea of what it's really going to be worth, when the team may want to tear it up, when Denzel Ward may say, I'm not really making as much as I'd like to make, but these are all factors that apply to all these contracts. And the first guy to get the nine-figure cornerback deal, Jalen Ramsey, Slight humble brag. Not, I mean, I don't, I don't know if there's anything humble about Jalen Ramsey, and I got no problem with it. I've been waiting on somebody else to touch that 100 club, and you definitely deserve it at Denzel Ward. Congrats. Remember, it was J.C. Jackson who wanted Jalen Ramsey money. Not Jalen yeah. Ramsey's actual money, but money like Jalen Ramsey was getting, and he didn't get there. Denzel Ward did again. Yeah. We'll bring well, it down and we'll see. There's a chance Jackson's deal's better. We'll right, see where he right. fits in this once we have the final numbers. It, it's, it, it is interesting. It is. I mean, again, I, I don't want to understate this. I mean, this is a really awesome football player who deserves to be in this conversation. But corner seems to be kind of one of those positions, Mike, that we've talked about a lot where it's just like the next good one seems to one-up the, the next guy. It does seem like it has that going on a little bit right now. To where I just I, I wonder how long it goes on. Listen, as, as as good as I look at a Denzel Ward, you know, and as talented he, as he is, yes, he's an awesome player. Do I think he's as good as Xavier Howard, who just got his new contract and didn't get this much money, at least by appearance? Absolutely not. I don't. And I do I, do, I, don't, I also don't think he's as good as J C Jackson either. You know, again, the other thing, like we've talked about, and and again, I don't want to disrespect, but Cleveland's defense is good. It's a really good pass rush. It's one of the best in football there too. You know, it's the Seattle scheme. They don't play man to man a ton. You know, they play. He plays man to man less than I would think, really. And I'll look up the numbers here in a second. I would bet you less than some of the other top corners in the sport. So that's where it's interesting to me as a football guy. Really good player. They don't put as much on his plate as some of these other corners. And you know, I'm not sure. I guess I believe that he's in that Marlon Humphrey, you know, Jalen Ramsey class quite yet. Let me throw something out there that I just thought of that may be completely baseless, which would mesh with about 95% of the things that I think of. Is it possible the Browns decided, you know what, we had two top four picks in 2018. We've already gotten rid or are in the process of getting rid of one of them. We can't go 0 for 2. we got to pay this guy and keep him around, even if he's not one of the top corners in the league. He's good enough. He checks the box. He deserves a contract. we got to work something out and keep this guy because we can't say see you later to Denzel Ward after we say see you later to Baker Mayfield. You think there's any 
political, just kind of making yourself look not inept in making two top four picks in 2018. I think it makes you maybe a little more eager to get it done, like just so you don't have that you know image or perception that you're kind of talking about there hovering over if it doesn't work out. Like, oh, I mean, look, the, the Browns, you know, a few years ago, they had two top five picks. Look where they are. They, where are they now? And that's where I think, you know, you're right with your kind of check the box phrase. Player's good. You know, he's good in the locker room. You know, and then, of course, is is a guy that they drafted in the top five. They've invested in there. And he's from Ohio State. I think it's like it's kind of like the trifecta of a little bit of the political angle, Mike, that, that makes this happen and maybe gives it the extra boost of the money or whatever. Again, guy's very deserving to be in this conversation. Like I said, I don't view him as quite that upper, upper echelon guy there, uh, but he's not far off. And yeah, now you know you just think about the Jair Alexanders of the world and everybody like that to where these contracts go couple of concussions in 2018 that has yeah. not been an issue the last three seasons it was one of those early career things where you're just kind of like oh let's see how this goes right and I remember back when the Browns had that fourth overall pick there was a lot of chatter about the possibility of them selecting Bradley Chubb the pass rusher they had Miles Garrett entering his second season what a combination that could have been but they went with the corner instead and again he's good enough that he gets a contract and the Browns assuming the injury risk with that $71 million guarantee. My assumption is that that's not fully guaranteed at signing. That's injury guarantee. So if he would have some sort of a problem, whether it's knee, something structural, concussion issue, whatever, and he can't play, he's going to have plenty of money in hand. And that's good. We celebrate when players get paid. We don't hate when they get paid. Golik and I were talking about this last night. There's so much transparency in what players get that it's so much easier for fans to resent the players. And I think you and I have talked about this not that long ago. We don't know how much money the owners have, but they got enough to buy big-ass boats. Right. Like boats that cost a quarter of a billion with a B, not quarter of a million like maybe Tom Brady could buy. So they're doing well, too. And every time a player gets a big contract, remember, for every dollar that goes into a player's pocket, a dollar goes into an owner's vault. Yeah, no question. No question, and we're going to continue to fight that fight. I mean, we, we see it going on in the NFL right now. We're going to talk about it here in a few minutes. I mean, once again, just as far as the amazing backlash of fans to the players and never caring about the billion-dollar owner. I, I don't understand that. I don't. Uh, but I'm happy for Denzel Ward, and that's the kind of move you make if you're, a, I think, a well-functioning, you know, a, a functioning good organization there. Hey, a guy that, that that's good, you drafted him. Get out in front of it now. Yeah, he's the highest paid, but a year from now we're going to look at it and go, he's the third or fourth highest paid guy, and it's going to look very affordable for the player they have who's just about to hit the peak of his you know, prime here. But I, like I said, I was a little surprised yesterday that the number went north of Jalen Ramsey. I'm not going to lie for the reasons I stated. Yeah. And, and Pete's looking it up just a little bit more. But, yeah, they're a team that's – one of the league leaders in zone coverage. So I guess that's what surprised me a little bit more is that they don't put that pressure like we've seen some of the top corners in football on their corners all the time to go, wait, you got that guy, shut him down. That's not really how Cleveland rolls. But but remember, sometimes to get past that top average, there'll be some phony numbers. Yeah, I know. You're right, Mike. The the last year, the Tyreek Hill deal, for example, he gets him to supposedly $30 million a year is a $45 million balloon payment that he will never, ever get. That's just an example of 
the BS that gets baked into these deals because the agents want to be able to say, I negotiated the richest contract ever for a defensive back, a receiver, a running back, whatever. And the people they're trying to impress with that aren't going to say yes, but you need to understand if we parse into the details, because it's very obscure and nobody cares. Right. Nobody cares. All they care about is what you can boast, and you can boast that you negotiated the richest contract for any cornerback in league history. Asterisk, let's see the details, and we will soon enough. A.J. Brown trying to get from the Browns to Brown. Yeah. A.J. Brown, the Titans receiver, second rounder from Ole Miss. He and D.K. Metcalf coming out of Mississippi the same damn year, the same damn time, in the same damn round, round two. How did everybody miss on both of these guys as first-rounders? Hey, Patriots, you took Nikhil Harry. <laughs> A.J. Brown and D.K. Metcalf were just waiting to be snatched by any NFL oh. team. So the Titans got A.J. Yeah. Brown. They're very happy with A.J. Brown. A.J. Brown's not happy with his contract. So he's not there for the start of the offseason program. Voluntary. It's lifting and running, folks. Yeah. He doesn't deal. show up for Relax. The, the lifting and running. Look at A.J. Brown. <laughs> he's done plenty of lifting and running. He'll be fine doing it on his own for a little while. But what happens? A.J. Brown goes to Twitter. He's already being called a diva and a bad teammate by all the haters out there. And don't, don't, don't get, look, I, it's so funny when, when we <laughs> talked the other day about the Debo Samuel death threats and the racist yeah. comments he was getting, I saw some folks saying, oh, these aren't real 49ers fans, real 49ers fans. What, get the hell out of here with that. That's how the realest fans are. They want to protect their fandom. Yeah. They want their players to be there. They're irrational. Fan is short for fanatic. So yes, if people are making death threats to Debo Samuel, they are 49ers fanatics, at least some of them. And if people are calling A.J. Brown a diva and a bad teammate, they are Titans fanatics. That's how it works. They're obsessed with everything being in place. Let's And I understand it. Yeah. Right? You want all your guys healthy, you want all your guys happy. And if they're unhappy, there's this knee-jerk belief. It's your fault, player. You're being greedy. You're being – wait for it, Chris – selfish <laughs> yeah it's it is ridiculous it's ridiculous let's try to put it in context for people I mean here we got a guy you talked about it. he's physical freak he's first off in shape and I don't think this is the kind of guy that just goes sits on the home uh, sits on the couch and eats Doritos for for a living he, he loves it he likes working out everything you hear that way this is his pride and joy all right, so now, I mean, A.J. Brown, I don't think anybody with their right mind would look at A.J. Brown or watch football the last two years and go, that's not one of the best receivers in football. I'm not saying he's the number one, but you know, like we talk about a lot, in the conversation, right, Mike? I think we could go around the NFL and reasonable minds and, and people that way, and head coaches would go, hey, A.J. Brown, he's my pick, or whatever. He's, he's right there. He's making $4 million a year. Okay, it's absolutely ridiculous for a guy like A.J. Brown to be making four million dollars a year. And I'm getting back to it here just because I got some things pulled up on the computer. And then you have guys where, again, DeAndre Hopkins, 27, DeAndre Hopkins, 27 million dollars a year. I know it's a funny number, average salary. I'm just going off of that right, Mike, for the conversation sake. I'm taking A.J. Brown over DeAndre Hopkins every day of the week. And I think DeAndre Hopkins is awesome. I'm, I'm also put, taking him over Devontae Adams as well. I'm sorry, Devontae Adams is a great football player. He can't do what A.J. Brown can do. Uh, he can't run, catch slants and then break seven tackles and run up the sideline for 80 yards and do all that stuff. 
He can't just run by you for go-route touchdowns and beat you on 50-yard bombs. So he has every right, let alone like like Debo Samuel, Mike, we talked about. Uh, he, he plays a physical brand of football, and he does everything right. So it's time. The time is now, and some of these fans just need to shut up. Yeah, look, they'll get the deal done. This is a very basic exercise in exerting the leverage that you have. This is how it works. You don't have to do it. You're not doing it. It's yeah. voluntary. You're not volunteering to be there until you, they get you taken care of properly. We'll see that throughout the league mm-hmm. this year and every year. So, folks, let's not get mad at guys who are trying to secure their financial future and get fair return for what their football present is. You get maybe two opportunities, if you're lucky, to cash in during the course of an NFL career. Maybe. The original contract doesn't matter unless you're the first or second guy taken. When you're a second round pick, you're slotted. You're not getting horrible money, but it's not nearly as good as people think. I mean, everybody thinks that like football players, the money's falling from the sky and life is easy and yada yada. That's baloney. That's baloney. So, uh, I mean, you could die as Chris Almost found out yes. in 2006. Maybe that's what happened to your filter. Maybe your filter is right next to your spleen in whatever jar that thing got stuck in. But, but I digress. Um, let, let's understand that these are the guys that you tune in to watch. These are the guys who are the best of the very best. I had someone try to argue to me recently. You know, back in 1987, there was a strike, and they replaced the NFL players, and they were wearing the same uniforms, and we would have gotten used to it. No, you wouldn't. No, you wouldn't. It sucked. I was watching. I was seven, and it sucked. No. (laughs) I remember watching. Where's my dad? (laughs) Um, So, no, these are the best of the best. This is why we tune in. And, yes, the NFL wouldn't be there if the owners hadn't created the teams and founded the teams and owned the teams and have the stadiums and the structure. It's not easy to do. But at this point, it's easy. They've done all the heavy lifting. At this point, it's just sit back and print money off of the labor of the best of the best. And those guys need to get paid. Why do we get mad at them? I don't I know. understand And there's plenty that. to go around. That's where it's, it's just crazy, too. It's just it's funny how, like, the fan base becomes protective of the owner's money. And then, like you said, it's like extra, you know, money off the top. It's icing on the cake that instead of, like, having a fully gold toilet on their yacht, they're just going to have a gold okay. seat. I mean, that's, that's, right. that's, where, so that's where I just don't understand the fans in that aspect. But, like, really – I mean, you look at the top – Tyree Kill, I think we both think the world of him and how special he is because of the crazy stuff he can do on the football field. You could make a case that A.J. Brown is the next best receiver in football, along with D.K. Metcalf and Debo Samuel. You know, that to me, that's my cup of tea as far as those kind of guys at wide receiver. You know that, Mike. I mean, because they can do system plus – they can do more than the system asks. It doesn't, oh, I know it might not be quite the precise route running Devontae Adams does, but it doesn't matter because they make up it with, with a greater physical ability. And then they you know, can do so much after the catch. And that's where you know, a guy like A.J. Brown, man, I, f- I feel his pain. And he should be making somewhere in the 26 27 $28 million a year average salary at the receiver position, in my opinion. We'll see what they work out. If they work it out, they need to work it out. And we need collectively to understand that just because a guy is staying away from the first week of offseason programs does not mean the sky is falling. It does not mean he's not going to be there week one. It does not mean he is personally coming to your house and throwing eggs at you. Don't get mad at the player who is doing the thing that is aimed at taking care of himself, his family, 
and his future. If he was your son, if he was your brother, if he was your nephew, if he was your cousin, if he was your friend, if he was your next-door neighbor, your attitude would be, do what you need to do. They have theirs. You get yours. Period. So, folks, let's just quit being assholes. I said it. Let's just stop it. Let's take a step back. We've become, to a certain extent, a nation of buttholes. I won't say it a second time. The first time, it just kind of... It kind of flew out. The filter, Chris and I are bad for each other or good for each other, as the case may be. But let's take a step back and, you know, not give everybody a hard time because they're doing something that might in some tiny little way disrupt our overall enjoyment of our sport, maybe make us worry about whether or not our team's going to be as good as it can be. Let's understand that these guys need to get what they can get. This isn't college. This isn't high school. This is for-profit with everybody making a ton of money. With the salary cap going up all the time, yeah, you know, anytime right. I see the hand wringing about how much players are making, it's like, but the salary cap keeps going up. The salary cap keeps going up and up and up. So, yes, this will happen. There will eventually will be a quarterback making $100 million a year. Yes, that will happen. And when there's a quarterback making $100 million a year, there's going to be an owner making a billion a year. And there's going to be other players making ridiculous amounts of money. It happens. That's the way it works in a popular sport that grows every year, that is finding all these new revenue streams, that is getting so much money from gambling. They expect to get a billion a year in free money from gambling by the end of the decade. It is going to cause – I mean, it's the most popular sport in the country by far. It's the one thing that can pull together 20 to 30 million people at any given time to watch football or anything for three hours. It is immensely powerful, and from that, the people involved will get paid. So don't get pissed off when they do. I know. It's the greatest money – it's the greatest money machine sports – you know, what are you, a league in, in the world, not just the Amer- in America. I mean, it's the world. It's just nobody can compete with it. None of the soccer leagues, nothing. So there's plenty to go around, to your point. And you know, it's, it's what I tell people all the time because I always have people come up to, the be- you know, to me and have these conversations like when I'm at the gym, I'm doing a workout or whatever, and there's always something like this. Another reason to never leave the house. <laughs> yeah, but it, it is, it's just it's, 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 I, I, I'm, I'm always dumbfounded by it, and then the one thing I always try to explain to them is exactly what you're saying. It's just, hey, hey, the owners made it like this first. This is they they made it this business and this cutthroat. And of course, hey, it's the game and I know it's agreed on by both sides, but you can't be mad and you know, I lead the examples you talk about all the time. Oh, you underperformed? Hey, we're gonna rip up your contract, we're gonna cut you. Oh, you overperformed? Um oh wait, hold on. I uh wait, whoa, you want more money? Whoa, that's crazy. And then the fan base has backlash. I don't I don't understand it. So uh, and A.J. Brown does everything right for that team, and you can see he's a real team guy. Think about what he did off last offseason, begging for Julio Jones to come there, a guy that's going to take some of his catches, but he knows the team's going to be better. Uh, he's, he's everything like Mike Vrabel said last week that you want in your locker room. So they want to pay him, so why wouldn't the fans want to back the coaches and go, you know, if they want to pay him, then I should want to pay him too. There's a hell of a case study to be done on how that came to be. Did it just happen organically? How complicit was the media in creating this resentment of players? It's something that's been going on for a very long time, and uh, we'll see how it goes. But our, our, our role, our task, our mission in these situations is to get people to understand. These guys got to get paid. They're the ones that are out there putting their bodies on the line, limiting the years they can play football. 
accepting risks that may affect them later in life in a cognitive way. And they're the reasons we're tuning in, to watch them play at their level, with their skill, and all the work they put in to maintain and achieve that level of skill. It's not just God-given ability. It's what the individual does to get the absolute most out of it. You don't roll out of bed. You, you've got to put the work in. All right, Pete's trying to get us to move along. He doesn't want me to say any more bad words. Ryan Tannehill's probably saying some bad words for some reason. Ryan Tannehill not present at the start of the voluntary offseason program. He was the subject of yeah, some talk. Some casual rumors. And look, he's got a contract that makes it very difficult for the Titans to do anything this year. But right. he's getting closer to the end of the deal that he signed. And I remember when he signed his deal, his deal, very favorable and actually better than the Patrick Mahomes contract and the Deshaun Watson contract because it was a short-term contract. It paid out more money over the first four years than Mahomes was getting or Watson was getting, and now we're getting closer to the end of it. And I don't know what he's trying to do because he's not a top-five guy. And, hey, hey, Kirk Cousins proved that you use your leverage even if you're a middle-of-the-pack quarterback because the team still needs one. And I don't want to contradict everything I just said. Ryan Tannehill, go get yours. Yeah, I This you. one's a tougher sell, though, because yeah. he's gotten his a couple of times. Right, and you're right. He's gotten his a couple of times. I don't think this is about that. I, I don't know. This is one where I'm always a little uh, – yes, he's not due to get a new contract. First off, Ryan Tannehill, I would think, is a pretty smart guy to realize or be able to read the room or the temperature of the city or the country, and for that matter, and the fact that the last game you played, everybody saw you throw really three, two dumb interceptions, throw three total, but two of them were really dumb. One cost the game. So, I mean, this is not the time to, you know, uh, ruffle feathers here to ask for a new contract. So that's where I, I, Mike. This is one where I haven't heard anything that it's like that. I don't know. Maybe you know more than I do, but I, I, I would like veteran players like a Ryan Tannehill. Sometimes they aren't there for the first week. Who knows? He might have had a family thing. I, just that's my experience. You know, rookie. I mean, rookie quarterback. Yeah, they're there. They're day one quarterback that's been around for almost ten years and played a lot of football. You know, first week might be, hey, coach, we're still finishing our vacation, or my kid had their spring break in school this week, so we'll be there next week. You know, they're not going to care. I, I doubt this is any signal or power play from Ryan Tannehill to the Tennessee Titans. Right now, we don't know why he wasn't there, and yeah. this is an example of why it's important to have a PR machinery, both with the team and True. with the player, to move quickly to fill these gaps True. in. When this report hits, you want to follow it up, you want to text somebody. Hey, he he. They know he wasn't going to be there right, this exactly. week. He's going to show exactly. up next week. But but the way it is now, there's that. I know that we don't know because of the talk. You said yeah. I'm, I'm looking at his contract. He's got 29 million in salary this year. Now the cap hits number. Uh, the cap hit is the number. Cap the cap hits hit number? is a number. The cap hit is a number. <laughs> the cap hit is a larger number of 38.6 million because he's got signing bonus proration, and he's got restructuring bonus proration. Next year's cap number is $36.6 million, but his base salary is twenty seven. So, look, look. And, 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 again, I don't want to say he shouldn't try to get more because he's due to make $56 million over the next two years combined. That's an average of $28 million a year. The market has soared past that. 
soared past that. And is he trying to get himself a better contract? Uh, Look, based upon how he's played overall, and I know he had the three interceptions against the Bengals, but... He's played good. People you could argue. That. You, yeah. you you could argue, and you're one of the you're one of the Ryan Tannehill defenders. You could argue that twenty eight million per year over the next two years is a little on the light side right now. Markets changed. One hundred percent. Cap's gone up. Right. You got guys making fifty million plus. You got a lot of guys north of forty now. And here's Ryan Tannehill languishing at twenty eight. I could see him wanting a little bit of a sweetener. I, I understand it. I do. You know. I, and, and I think if he doesn't play that way the last game, and really. Just play solid football, and they lost. I don't think you know. I think we he'd have something to stand on here, or maybe you know have the right to ask for a little bit more security. He's not. We're a, not killing. We're not killing Kyler Murray as much for his playoff game, though, as we're trying to kill Ryan. Tannehill. No, you're Why right. You're right. I think it's because like we kind of know what Ryan Tannehill is, right? And Kyler Murray, I think there's still we think there's some untapped potential, and there's growth going on. I, at least that would be. Okay. All right. I don't know. You caught me off guard with that question. Off the spot. Yeah, it's a good question. Yeah, it is. It's a good one. I'm guessing that's why. That's at least the answer that came to my head there. Um, But you know, Tannehill, I think falls in that conversation, Mike, that we've talked about a lot lately, right? He's like one of those guys that, yeah, he's not top ten. You listed the top ten, I think, perfectly uh, in an article last week. You know, and then it's like, okay, there's Derek Carr at 11, and it's Ryan Tannehill and Matt Ryan right there, right? To me, it's that that's that next group of guys there, and that's where he is. So it is funny right now to find that sweet spot as far as what he is as a player and what he deserves to get paid. I mean, he's certainly better than Jared Goff. He's played better than Carson Wentz the last three years, that's for sure. And he continues to lead his team to the playoffs. But he's not the superstar that a fan base is going to latch onto and go, oh my gosh, we're going to die with him because he's so awesome to watch and everything like that. And I can understand Tennessee maybe taking a quarterback in this year's draft at some point just to think about the future a little bit. Yeah, and I think in the present, it makes sense for him to say, I should get a little something more because things have changed dramatically. And this all comes down to whether or not the team's going to say, well, you have a contract for two more years. You signed that contract, and now you live with that contract. And this is why I I periodically will argue that the the fairest way to compensate players, specifically quarterbacks, is to ensure that their minimum compensation is tied to a percentage of the cap. So as the cap goes up, you don't have these situations where – Guys are saying, that deal I signed a couple of years ago doesn't look very good now. And it doesn't look very good, given where the market currently is for quarterbacks. Deontay Johnson, the Steelers receiver who is eligible for a new contract, there was reporting that he has a dispute with the Steelers. I saw something yesterday that he wasn't there for the start of the offseason program. He says, don't believe everything you see after reports of a contract dispute. So, okay. We'll see. If they don't have a story, they're going to make one. Look, I mean, Deontay Johnson, all due respect, we got plenty of other stuff to talk about in the NFL. We didn't need to make a story about nothing. The bottom line is if he's truly not there and he's one of the guys who's in line for a new contract, then yeah, it becomes people a think story. about that. Right. And Chris, I thought of this the other day. There was a time when the Steelers had Mike Wallace and Antonio Brown. Yeah. Early in their careers, they tried to sign Mike Wallace. Mike Wallace didn't want the money they were offering. Yep, right. So they said, fine, fine, basically, we're done. We'll give it to Antonio Brown. And they did. And Wallace left. And 
I could see the Steelers right now. They're not going to pay both, in my opinion. Maybe I'm wrong. Wouldn't be the first time today that I am. But maybe they're not going to pay both Deontay Johnson and Chase Claypool. And they're trying to figure out who gets it now. And Claypool's not even eligible yeah, yet. No, He's a year you. away. Right. So they may try to slow, slow play. Easy for him to say. Slow play Deontay Johnson until they decide what they're going to do with Chase Claypool. Because I think it's going to be one or the other. That's why I keep mentioning Claypool as a guy that could potentially be traded to the Packers. I think at the end of the day, the Steelers know they're only going to have one of those two guys. Well, yeah, and yeah. They're, they're in that process of trying to figure out which of the two guys they're going to have. And, and uh, you know, Deontay Johnson's downplaying it. But, uh, you know, I think there's an issue there. Yeah, well, the, 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 it seems like it. I mean, listen, there's, it's on the horizon. Uh, Deontay Johnson, for, for my money, you know, is not in the class of some of the other receivers we're talking about. He's really good. I'm certainly not trying to disrespect the player. But he's not Debo or A.J. Brown or D.K. Metcalf or Terry McLaurin for that, uh, for that, for that matter. All right? But, like, you know, an awesome player. A number one wide receiver, no doubt about that, and can do everything. But also, like, not been, you know, we got to remember here, too, like, those other guys have been dependable and also, like, the mainstay or the, the main piece of the offense. Deontay Johnson's been one of, one of the top pieces of the offense, but I'm not going to sit here and say it's the main piece. I'm not. He had drop issues two years ago, right? So we had those issues and a lot of drops and some big moments and things like that. So to me, he hasn't performed at the level those other guys have. I think, hey, it's fair to start striking these conversations up, but I don't look at it quite the same as like, oh, you got to hold out and get your money right now. You deserve to be paid like Debo or A.J. Brown. To me, it's a little bit of a different situation and scenario there. And then you couple that on with the Claypool aspect of it, I think that makes it even a little more interesting, Mike, because you're right. Pittsburgh's always got receivers coming down the barrel. That's the one thing when you look back at their history, it was, we'll let go of Santonio Holmes. We got Wallace and Antonio Brown. Oh, we'll, we'll let go. Fine. Okay, we can't get Wallace. All right, fine. Yeah, it's Martavis Bryant they draft. And then it's, you know, Juju Smith-Schuster. See you later, yeah, Right. It's all. So they've always had guys coming up the ranks here. I don't know if they got any more coming up the ranks past these two right now who are really good players. All the more reason to find a way to keep Kevin Colbert around. Remember he told us during the scouting combine, yeah. depending upon who the new GM is, he may stick around. I would keep him around because somebody there's got the golden touch. No doubt. When it comes to either drafting yeah. or developing young receivers, contrary to the New England Patriots. The Steelers have cracked the code, and they need to be sure that to the extent that Kevin Colbert has some secret, they figure out what it is or keep him around so he can help out. The Chiefs cracked the code several years back when they got Tyreek Hill. Now, he fell to round five for off-field issues, and he fell out of favor because he wanted more money than the Chiefs would give. The Chiefs were happy to trade him to the Dolphins for five draft picks and removal of the obligation to pay him $75 million over three years. The Chiefs opened their off-season program on Monday. Let's have a listen to Andy Reid on how he went about working through this delicate situation, especially when you have a quarterback in Patrick Mahomes and a tight end in Travis Kelsey that probably would have liked to have kept Tyreek Hill around. I kept it uh, myself and Brett kept it wide open with Patrick um, as part of playing that position. Uh, there's a pretty good chance there, there's change going to take place uh, throughout your career. And so um, that, that's, that's all part of it. Um, and, and so, and, you know, I also mentioned it, to Kels, just so 
So he had a heads up on it too. Just, I mean, those guys are, are very close and the, the three of them and have had a lot of production for us. So, um, but it's important that they, they, they see that part of it. That's part of this game. And, and uh, change does take place. So, uh, and, and I think, uh, you, you know, I, you beat around the bush on it. I don't think that's good either. I'm, I'm kind of upfront and this is what it is. And this is the plan going forward. Yeah. I mean, obviously my initial reaction uh, was a little bit of shock. I mean, even though you, you knew that this was a possibility, um, just the play with the guy that you've played and built a friendship with over the last uh, six years, um, it, it definitely was something that you didn't, you didn't want him to leave more for the, just being able to hang out in the locker room and do that stuff than the actual on the field stuff. Um, but you're happy for him, man. I mean, he, he got a great contract. Obviously, he's back uh, where he has a house in the offseason around a lot of his family and stuff like that. Um, and I, I wish the best for him. And then for me, it was just, this is, we got to keep rolling. That's just kind of how it is in this league. Is It's a business as much as it is about um, your friendships and stuff like that. And so uh, we, we know that in order to, to have success in this league, you have to keep evolving and keep getting better. And so uh, I got with those these new receivers as quickly as possible and tried to build that so that we could have success right when we get going this year. You know, one of the realities for Patrick Mahomes, and we said this at the time, Tyreek Hill was going to leave at some point over the course of his career. He's going to cycle through Mahomes' will, various great receivers and tight ends and running backs. He's going to be the common thread. Look at all the different receivers Tom Brady has played with over the course of 22 years. That will happen. I don't think anybody expected Tyreek Hill to be gone this quickly, but it looks like Andy Reid did a good job of mm-hmm. keeping everyone apprised of what was happening. It makes it even more amazing, Chris, that it was kept under wraps. Think about that. Mahomes knew about it. Kelsey knew about it. Others in the organization knew about it. And then when Drew Rosenhaus gets permission to shop Tyreek Hill in a potential trade, and every team knows about it, nobody said boo. That amazes me as much as the fact that the trade happened, that it was kept under wraps for as long as it was. It's amazing. Yeah, it is amazing. I mean, th- yeah, you know, the league, the way it is now, I mean, stories like that usually spread like fire. Uh, they're good guys, and it's a well-run organization. And it speaks to Andy Reid again. You know, Andy Reid and Veach, Brett Veach, they just they got the golden touch as far as how to communicate with players. You know, players love them. They they, they trust them. You know, Andy Reid's been a head coach for a long time. I mean, what are we talking about, 20 years? And we got, like, two players who have ever said anything remotely not positive about Andy Reid. I mean, it, it's incredible that way. So there's something there to that. Tyreek Hill's a hell of a football player. He's not easy to replace. But – this is an offense got a lot of talent. McCole Hardman will be able to, you know, take a little edge off of it with his speed. Valdez Scantling, another guy that can run, you know, not like Tyreek, but it's close to that. It's not far off. It's still going to be scary when he's running down the middle of the field. The team's going to be like, oh, wait, it's Patrick Mahomes, at quarterback. We better get back. I know this isn't Tyreek, but Valdez Scantling can also catch the ball 70 yards down the field. So that's where, and I'm like, I don't know about you, but I'm amazed at how many people in social media and everything that people think Patrick Mahomes is going to fall off without Tyreek Hill. Like those people should be knocked off of social media. Like block them from Twitter for being too stupid or Instagram (laughs) for being too stupid. Like, what are you talking about? I mean, Tyreek Hill misses games this year, last year, the year they go to the Super Bowl. We don't even think about it. We just go Kansas City, uh, keep rolling. I mean, we didn't think of Tyreek Hill like Tyreek Hill until Patrick Mahomes started throwing bombs to him off the back foot 80 yards down the field. 
I mean, so it's insane where people go with these conversations. They're going to be just fine. He'll be just fine. I know that. But I would bet you and my money that Mahomes will be more fine than Tyreek Hill when all said and done. Chiefs are 4-2 and two without Tyreek Hill on the field. And uh, to your point, uh, they, they can get it done without him. But he also got it done when Alex Smith was the quarterback. That well, was that, his first yes. season as sure. a regular contributor right. in 2017. Sure. So it's a chicken and the egg thing, and that's another topic that Andy Reid addressed yesterday. Now that the egg or the chicken is gone, what will the offense look like? Here he is. I don't think it'll be significantly different. It'll be similar to what we did when, when in the games that Tyreek couldn't play in. Um, you know, we just you – know, there are certain things that he did, did very well – um, uh, that we'll have people try to to fill in those spots, but uh, without forcing anything. We normally what we do on this is we try to play to the players' strengths uh, the best we can. So we'll see with the new with some of the new guys what they can do, and and then um, you know, we'll work around that. Um, is that we have a lot of size in that receiving room that we haven't necessarily had in the past. Uh, we've done it different ways with speed and and uh, beating guys deep and stuff like that. But to have big physical receivers that can still run, that can still uh, catch the ball over the top. But at the same time, there's been balls I've even thrown while we're throwing uh, just kind of out there routes on air type stuff. And I'm throwing it high, thinking it's an overthrow, and those guys are catching it easy. Yeah, I mean, I'm very, I'm very interested to see how defenses are going to play us just in general because, I mean, a lot of that shell stuff was because of the speed that we had on the outside. And and this year we have such – we have that speed still with guys like Valdez, Scanlon, and McColl, but we also have bigger guys – um, they can catch over the middle with with Travis, obviously, and Juju, and 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 all these guys. So we have we kind of have a nice mixture uh, of speed and size, which I think will force defenses to try to not only play those deep coverages, but but come up and play some man too. Um, so if, I think it's going to be able to have a different variety for them, where they won't know exactly where the ball's going every single play. They're, they they don't know where it's going to because we have so many different guys that can make plays in this offense. I do have to chuckle just a little bit when Andy Reid says the offense without Tyreek Hill is going to look a lot like it did in the games we played without Tyreek Hill. (laughs) Yes, yes, it will, uh, because you no longer have Tyreek Hill and you had games where you didn't have him and you had to make do. The one thing that was (laughs) unspoken in all of this, what they plan to do in the draft, because I don't think the story is is finished yet. No. There's still in play to go out and find somebody who can maybe force a defense to cover every single blade of grass and who is even more explosive than a Marquez Valdez-Scantling, who, Chris, for whatever reason, he never really exploded in Green Bay. I'm still perplexed by that. It's not like he didn't have a great quarterback there. Yeah. So I want to be curious to see what he does in that offense, what Juju does, and what else they do to beef up the receiver position absent Tyreek Hill. But the one thing that I always believe with the Chiefs, they've got a plan. They've got a confidence. It's a yep. quiet confidence that they're going to figure it out. Yeah, no, they do. They got they got a plan. There's no doubt. And, and Mike, what they did at the receiver room, you know, too, it doesn't make them desperate at the end of the first round either. They're plenty good. They'll readjust the way they play. Teams, I, I'll be interested to see. You know, again, I don't think teams are going to play them a whole lot differently because you're still going to have to worry about, whoa, Valdez Scantling's flying over here and so is McCole Hardman flying over there. 
You know, so that's where it all, I will be interested to see. You said what? They were two and four without Tyree Kill over the years, or is that what the the record was? Yeah, okay. four and two, four and two. Excuse me. Okay, so they did fine without him. And you know, again at that time too. I want to tell everybody, like, it was all about Tyreek and Kelsey. So they, they had him when he was like, wait, we got to have him. And he still wasn't on the field. And they still went four and two. And again, Tyreek Hill wasn't Tyreek Hill with Alex Smith. It was, oh, wait, Tyreek Hill, holy cow, Tyreek Hill, when he got with Patrick Mahomes. That's where the game changed. Hill's amazing. We know that. But it's like, I, I, I can't believe how many people think one's going to fall off because, like, Joe Montana didn't fall off when he went to Kansas City without Jerry Rice. He was still freaking awesome in Joe Montana. Uh, that, 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 so that's a crazy thought. They're both awesome players, and Mahomes, along with Josh Allen, is clearly the best player in the sport, and they'll be fine. They're going to be still a handful to deal with on that offense. Here's where it gets very interesting nine days from now, and the top ten of the draft may not have a lot of compelling moments, and Peter King pointed out yesterday it could be the first draft ever with no one who regularly touches the ball being picked in the first 10 Very selections. Very real, definitely. But, but consider this. You've got the Packers at 22 and 28. You've got the Chiefs at 29 and 30. Both teams clearly in need of a game-breaking number one receiver. I just wonder what kind of... Green Bay is way more desperate, though. Plans. Like, way right. more, right? Well, right. But what if the Chiefs decide, hey, we yeah, know, know what we want. Right. We're going to package 29 and 30 to get to 21 with Bill Belichick and the Patriots and cut the line in front of uh-huh. Green Bay. And I wonder how much yeah. Belichick wants to help him do that. <laughs> yeah, right. I know. They better, better make it a nice, you know, a splash in the pot, Teddy KGB style there for sure. But you're right. That would be scary to me too if I'm the Packers. Or if you're the Packers and you don't take the receiver at 22, right? You get greedy. And maybe they take some other position. And then they get to 28 and they think the receiver, that's when it's going to get scary. Because the Chiefs only being one spot behind that and then the second spot behind it they're going to be able to jump them very easily uh and yes you know like i don't know i just there i i do think there could be that kind of guy there i don't know what ohio state guy will be there the north dakota state christian watson i just keep looking at him going oh my gosh if he's on the board with kansas city watch out though they're going to set the world on fire you know, he's he's the DK Metcalf or the Chase Claypool of this draft, in my opinion, Mike, the freak show that everybody's sleeping on because he just they didn't see him catch the ball a hundred times in a year, even though they know he can catch it. And you know, just the production and the wins aren't the right way, so we can't quite pick him. Okay, so but uh, it'll be interesting because there are a lot of wide receivers, and I expect a lot of them to go towards the end of the first round. And to the extent that the Packers are feeling desperate. Just two drafts ago was when they were at the bottom of round one. They wanted Justin Jefferson. He goes to Minnesota. Then they want Brandon Ayuk. They think they're going to get him. They get jumped by the 49ers who get Ayuk. That was when the Jordan Love plan activated. There wasn't a plan C for receiver. It was, let's trade up for a quarterback, and two years later, here we are. I say that because they were burned by that two drafts ago. I wonder if this time around they're not going to play games. They're going to know who they want, and they're going to do what they have to do to go get him because they remember what happened when they didn't strike, if they had a chance to strike in 2020. I, I, I think that's, that's a real 
It's got to be a real thought. Along with the desperation like we're talking about, it's a real necessity for the team. Like like we've discussed, there's there's no guy up there to look at and go, oh, man, look at him. He's their guy. And then they don't have great depth to go along with it. So there there is real desperation. You know, Kansas City at least can go, hey, we, we got Travis Kelsey and Juju Smith-Schuster and McCole Hardman and um, who else? And Marquez Valdez-Scanling. And I'm missing even some somebody else in the crew there. So they, they're not looking at it like, oh, my gosh, if we don't get the guy we want, we're totally a different football team. Green Bay, on the other hand, I do look at it like that for them. It is, it is desperation. Clock about to hit midnight. Like, they need a big-time contributor at receiver in the draft this year. Yeah, um, that's going to make it even more fascinating as we get closer and closer to round one, which starts nine days from now from Las Vegas. Let's go ahead and take a break. The NFL continues to have a very difficult offseason, but it's been a good offseason for Mary Jo White, who has yet another assignment from the NFL. She's up to three. Business is booming. Three. Business is booming for Mary Jo White. I think I said this last night. She may not need a bigger boat, but she's going to be able to buy one if she wants one. (laughs) We'll discuss that when PFT Live continues right after this. The Washington Commanders issued an 18-page response yesterday to the letter that was sent last week by the U.S. House Committee on Oversight and Reform to the Federal Trade Commission. Quick background here. Last week, it was a 20-page letter that was just multiple bombshells regarding alleged financial improprieties in which the Washington Commanders engaged. And most of the evidence, if not all of it, came from a 24-year employee of the team named Jason Friedman. Well... I didn't know what the commanders were going to do. They had been quiet. Yesterday, their lawyer sent that letter to the FTC. And to summarize as simply as I can, they're saying that that guy is full of crap, that everything he said is a lie or he's misinformed. But they went after Jason Friedman aggressively. And it wasn't that long ago. There was a little dust up where they had issued a statement saying anyone who would testify that these things happened would be committing perjury. And then Friedman's lawyer said, well, you've defamed my client. And the commander said, well, we didn't name anybody. They did now. They did now. They can't say they didn't name anybody now. They came after Jason Friedman aggressively. And Chris, you know, one of the things I look for, if there's somebody who believes they are wrongfully accused of something, if they truly are wrongfully accused, shout it from the rooftops. That's not always the best strategy, but sometimes it is. And that's what the Washington commanders did on Monday. They shouted from the rooftops. They have gone after Jason Friedman. They say he is lying, that he's making it up, that he's got an ax to grind, that he's disgruntled. They threw a lot of mud at him about the way he got fired or let go or whatever the specific language is. His employment ended with the team after 24 years and he was trying to get in touch with people to come back. And then they found out other evidence about an allegedly inappropriate relationship. It's all in the letter. We have a link to it on PFT. So they are literally shooting the messenger here. They are going after this guy aggressively to make him look not credible and uh, hopefully put this fire out. Now they got other fires they got to deal with. And this one fire may be distracting folks from the other fires as it relates to chronic workplace misconduct yeah but as to the financial improprieties the washington commanders are taking a fire hose to uh the allegations and i was stunned by how aggressive and pointed 
and just over the top this letter was. Yeah, it was strong, certainly. I mean, the kind of strong statement that comes out to make you definitely question, you know, the the legitimacy of the whole thing and just go, whoa, like, where's this going to go from here? I mean, that certainly wasn't like a political BS hiding behind, you know, some fake language to make it sound publicly like they didn't do anything wrong, you know, and, and skirt around the issue. So we'll see. I don't know. Again, this is one of those that you know, dies off for a few days. It comes back, and I'm sure we'll have some other bombshell break about the Washington Commanders and this story at the time we least expect it. But, um, yeah, that was pretty strong by the Commanders yesterday. Here's the bottom line. There's no middle ground. There's no gray area. No. There's none. So let's hash it out. And yet again, a statement was issued by Jason Friedman's lawyer alluding to, which I assume is a non-disclosure agreement. Maybe he got some sort of severance, you know, one week of pay for every year of service. That's 24 weeks of pay. That's a lot of money. You don't want to jeopardize that by violating the terms of your NDA. It's one thing to be subpoenaed to testify before Congress if that's the context his testimony was given in. It's another thing to hold a press conference and say all these things. Lisa Banks, who represents Jason Friedman, has been asking in these statements for the ability of Friedman to speak publicly. So we'll see. We'll see. Uh, But there was a lot that was said and has been said by both sides in this. I feel like it's not over, but I feel like it cries out for some sort of an effort to get to the truth because the guy either is lying his ass off or he's telling the truth. There is no gray and uh, hopefully we'll, we'll see what happens. Now, now, Mary Jo White is investigating the financial improprieties, allegedly. How do you do all this? Amanda's engaged. <laughs> well, you have, you have people working for oh, you. Man. You delegate. That's how you do it. You delegate. And, uh, and, you, and you stay up late. You delegate and you stay up late. Um, she's also investigating the claim from Tiffany Johnston, a former Washington employee, that there was some sort of inappropriate conduct committed directly by team owner Daniel Snyder. And she's investigating the Miami Dolphins for the claim from former coach Brian Flores that he was offered $100,000 per loss in 2019. And now we become aware of an investigation that has been ongoing. SI.com had the report last night, and it was unclear where it all came from because I saw on Twitter a statement from the Browns. The Browns issued a statement to SI.com on request because SI was looking into the fact that the NFL is investigating the Browns for the oh-by-the-way claim that Hugh Jackson made after Flores alleged that he was offered $100,000 per loss in 2019, Jackson said basically, and I'm paraphrasing, but same thing here happened with me. Yeah. Oh, then, wait, then he, not exactly the same. <laughs> then he backed off. Yeah. And the Browns pointed that out in their statement. They say he retracted his claim. Mm. I don't think it's quite that simple because he gave a quote to SI.com, Chris, where he says that, he tried to go through the proper channels two years ago and and raise this under the NFL's constitution and bylaws directly with the league, and they didn't investigate it then, so why are they investigating it now? So there's something there. I just think it's been poorly communicated by Hugh Jackson as to what the something is. Yeah, I, I, I don't disagree with you there. And, and yes, I would think there is something there. I don't think Hugh Jackson would say this, you know, just totally falsely, but I do think he kind of hurt his credibility a little bit in the situation by coming out so strong right off the bat, like, yeah, me too, and then, yeah, okay, now it's two or three interviews later, and it's not me too. It's You, you have a little different story, and you don't seem to be as strong as selling it as you did when you first came out. So that's a little, where it's a little weird, but do I doubt that 
some sort of conversation like this went on, maybe with a Hugh Jackson in Cleveland? I don't. I certainly think it's worth investigating and, and checking out if you're Mary Joe in the NFL. And, and this all comes down to how aggressively she investigates, how many rocks she overturns, and what the league wants to find. Again, this is my opinion. I don't need to get sued by Mary Jo White or anyone else. But I know from experience, you don't continue to get hired by a major client to conduct independent investigations if you aren't giving them what they want. Whatever it is they want, they're happy with her work. And I don't think it's like, oh, she uses a great penmanship. They're happy with the result, not the process. And at a certain point, let's put it this way, too. And this comes up from time to time because the NFL likes to hide behind this idea that it's using truly independent investigators. It's not. They're beholden to the league. They want to keep getting work from the league. And the more work Mary Jo White gets from the league, the less independent she is necessarily because you've basically become you know like a satellite office for the nfl hey we got we go hey mary joe we got another one for you all right i'm on it if if they weren't happy with everything she was doing they would not be continuing to hire her she's giving them what they're looking for and that can corrupt the process because sometimes you start to try to guess what you think the person who keeps hiring you to do these interviews really wants and these investigations so I say all that because if there's anything here, here's what I think it is. And and this is speculation informed by an understanding of how things work and how the sausage gets made. I would not be surprised if the truth here is, Chris, that the Browns had a system of incentives for Hugh Jackson and others in the organization that were tied to factors that were not conducive to winning now, but winning later. Like not using all your cap space. Like finding a way to stockpile draft picks. Other things that would show that you're really not trying to win now. Not we're paying you to lose, but we're giving you financial incentives to do these various things that when all taken together, it's going to make it pretty damn hard to lose right now. Man, yeah, we're, well, we're, yeah, you know, yeah. I hear and, what you And saying. so it's a more subtle way. Of doing what Stephen Ross did. It's a more it's a more engineered type of tanking. It's more strategic. Yeah, it's not it's not, hey Hugh, here's a hundred grand for every game you lose. It's we've got benchmarks to determine bonuses. And we're gonna base these bonuses on how much cap space we carry over from 2016 to 2017, 2017, 2018, 2018, 2019, whatever. How many draft picks we have, that kind of thing. How sure. many free agents we sign or don't sign. I, and, and that's a way to bake tanking into your broader structure without it being obvious. That's interesting. If, and again, that's, that's speculation, but uh, that, that could be what Hugh Jackson's talking about. It, it is interesting. I mean, I, I will be, I'll be you know, interested to hear what he says or what, what the, his vision of whatever was being portrayed to him as far as what he, they wanted losing. Yeah, you're right that way. It's not your traditional way of tanking. You're still coaching and playing to win the game, but you know you've set yourself you up. Hand, you got a hand tied behind you. But your back. you know you've set yourself up, yes, to not really put you in the best spot to actually coach your best and win the game. So that's where it, I guess this is my my thing. And not that I I mean, we've seen crazy crap in the NFL. That just seems like 
a lot to keep quiet. Like, I just feel like that would have came out already. If there was that intricate of a detail plan, you know, you talked about it a few minutes ago, how impressive it was for Mahomes and Kelsey to keep a Tyreek Hill thing quiet. I have a hard time thinking a bunch of people in the front office can keep that quiet either, too. But if you're getting money, maybe that'll make you be quiet. That's for sure, too. I don't know. But, but, did, but didn't we know that that's what they were doing, that the analytics plan that was put in place by Paul D. Podesta was based on sucking now to be better later? It was kind of like an open secret, like they're not really trying to win. This is what they're doing. They're stockpiling picks. They're, they're waiting to make their play later, and it worked. But there's a difference, the though. There's a difference to me than that, though. That's just playing the long play and not going all right. in on a year. So that's where, yeah, it would be interesting to kind of see how that's planned out. Because you're right. I mean, I know what you're saying. They are doing that. But to what extent, you know, you, you can't bite off your nose to spite your face for the future, too, just to do that. Uh, so that, that would I, I got to see some of the details, I guess, is what I'm saying, to believe it or really where this is going with Hugh Jackson, because I'm kind of confused by his claim altogether. Did you say bite off your nose to spite your face? Yes, did you I say did. That again? Yes, I that's, did. It's, that's, one, that's one of your classics. See, I need to point out to anyone who's inclined to email me to say there's a new Simsism. It's not new. It's, it's, it, trust me, it is not new. Most of them at this point are not new. This is just you know a re-airing of past comments. Um, th- this gets to the point, though, that came up in the immediate aftermath of the Flores allegation. Yeah. because. The only reason that Stephen Ross was suggesting, if the allegation is true, that the Dolphins lose games in 2019 is he wanted to have the highest possible draft pick in 2020. It's not like he's betting on the Patriots when they're playing the Dolphins and he wants Brian Flores to lose so he can win the bet that he's made against his team. And that's why the draft structure is flawed. And the NFL is deliberately ignorant of it. I think they know, but they act like they don't know because their attitude is every team tries to win every game. Every team does its best to win every game, no matter the stakes, no matter the week, no matter whether or not you have the one seed or you're the worst team in the league. Everybody's trying to win all the time. Integrity of the game, integrity of the game, integrity of the game. And we know that's baloney. We know it's baloney. It was proven with the Buccaneers week 17 of the 2014 season when they removed half their starters to uh, deliberately lose a game that they were winning against the Saints. Sean Payton told that story Super Bowl week. He's, you know, he's, he, he said he, he has somebody who talks to him uh, when, when changes are made, when, when somebody's out, if there's an injury, hey, the left cornerback's out. And it's like they're going over and over again, like half their team was out when they came out for the second half. Everybody knew what the Buccaneers were doing. So there are reasons to do it because of the way that those draft picks are awarded. Until the NFL changes that, that incentive is going to be there. So whether it's something specific, like I'll pay $100,000 to lose, or whether it's a broader incentive structure that does not prioritize winning now but prioritizes having more draft picks to build a team later – that's a reality of the NFL. Yeah, it is a reality of the NFL. I do think there's a little difference there. There's a difference, though, to me, uh, at least in me, in my opinion. And again, okay, wait, last game of the year, we've kind of already made our bed, 
So now in the second half, we're going to just make sure we don't win this game so we can have the number one pick. There's a difference to me in that and then to, hey, owner telling coach, lose this game next week, lose every game here down the stretch, and here's money to do it. That's a different ball game to me. And that one is egregious and it is wrong. Another one... You know, again, I don't, I don't know how You're to. You're still find... trying to land the plane. I You're get still it. Trying to land I the plane it, for the first overall pick in the draft. I get you, but one, one has shown weeks and weeks of evidence of like not trying to put your best foot forward. The other one, at least, you can't prove that they went finally. We put our best forward. We stink. Let's make sure we get the number one pick here. There's a, there is a difference to me in that, and maybe I'm not explaining or, or getting to the the core differences there the best way. Peyton's view on that is once you cross that bridge you can't go back yeah that mm-hmm. that if you do that you are inflicting a wound upon your program that can't be repaired because sure. there are individuals players coaches etc that you know you want to have a winning culture yes and winning means winning every game right winning 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 trying to win trying to win trying to win so whatever you gain from deliberately losing is going to be offset by what you lose by not trying to win, if that makes any sense. It makes all. total Maybe sense. We talk about this a lot towards the end of the year. We talked about this with Detroit, right? We were all, should they lose? Should they do this? No, you got to start building something, win games, start giving the team and the players to go, wait, things are going in the right direction at the end of the year. And then you can hit the offseason feeling positive. You know? And added to the fact of like, you know, what we've talked about so much, it, these coaches, uh, it gets put on their gravestone what their records are. A lot of the times, you know, they, oh, yeah, you want me to lose, but you're going to hold me to that losing season three years from now. So I'm not going to lose. Screw you. We're going to win. You know, they're going to go down fighting more times than not because of all the reasons you just said. It does. It will spread through your organization. And it's the, you're going to have coaches that won't like it, and then coaches are going to tell players that that's going on. Hey, don't you know, we didn't really try to win that game. And all of a sudden it filters through your locker room and you got a bunch of losers, and you're a loser organization. So that's where you got to be careful. Pete said to me that it worked for the Eagles week 17 of 2020. Did it, though? Doug Peterson got fired after that. There was no coming back from that. The organization picked up the draft picks. But, again, that was the other example. And when Peyton Peyton talks openly about tanking, he points to those two examples. Week 17, the Buccaneers in 2014. Week 17 of the Eagles in 2020 as situations where there was a deliberate personnel change that was made for one reason and one reason only, to lose games. And, uh, again... The, the problem is the NFL is so strident in its position that this never happens that it makes it laughable when we see it. And they just ignore it. They don't, they don't want to deal with the flaw, the inherent and obvious flaw that they incentivize losing by giving the team who gets the worst record the best pick in the draft. It's like it magically appears that this team has how – how, well, how does the Jaguars have the first – because they blow. They stink. They're horrible. That's why they have the first pick in the draft. And they earned that. They worked hard to earn that first pick in the draft. So there's a firewall in the NFL's mind between what you do in the regular season and where you are in the draft. But we're nine days away from the marquee offseason tentpole event. And look at this. Ooh, you want to have a high pick in the draft. Well, there's a way to get it. That's the fundamental problem here. And this isn't – We don't have time to get into solutions. We've talked about them in the past, potential solutions to this. But that incentive is the reason why Brian Flores is saying what he said, why Hugh Jackson may be saying what he said, why the Bucs did what they did, why the Eagles did what they did. There's there's a, a reason to do it. There is a win 
through that loss late in the season, whether it's a half of a game, a half of a month, or half of a season. Yeah, I, I know. You're. I mean, there is a win. I, you know, and again, I don't know where the line is, but there is a line or a difference to me. And again, what Sean Payton or you're saying, or what the the Tampa Bay Bucks and Philadelphia Eagles did, as opposed to what Brian Flores is alleging from Miami Dolphins. To me, there is a difference there. Uh, one is actively trying to lose the whole year for the most part, or at least half the year. The other one tried to win and just got to the last game of the year and went, okay, wait, if we lose, we get to one. If we win, we're the third pick. And, you know, not that we're going to go out here and, like, actively lose, but we're going to pull players. There's a difference there. Ross was asking, asking the coach, allegedly again, to not coach as good and do all the other things, too, to add to go with that. And that, to me, is there is a difference. And I, I don't know where you draw that line or how you figure that out, but one's more egregious to me than the other. We need to take a break, but for all we know, yeah. for all we know, because we don't know what the truth is here, and we may never know the absolute truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth, but for all we know, Ross was trying to set up a system kind of like what they had in Cleveland where they deliberately take a step back. They deliberately prioritize stockpiling cap space and draft picks. And, and you know, when you go back and look at what they did in 2019, they were bad at first. After the bye, I think that's when Brian Flores decided, I can't do this. I can't go along with this. And so they start winning games. So the plan starts not working. And maybe at some point, Brian, uh, Stephen Ross gets exasperated and says, what do I have to do, pay $100,000? Per loss, what do I have to do to get what I'm trying to get here? So, again, we don't know the context. We don't know what was said. We don't know if it was actually said. These are all things that are being investigated under the rubric of Mary Jo White and her independent review of what occurred. But but uh, there's a lot of different ways this can manifest itself. That's our point. Because of the way the draft picks are determined, there's a lot of different ways that tanking can happen. And because of that system, we're now dealing with the Browns, the Dolphins, and whatever else may come up. Let's take a break. When we return, we're still dealing with Tom Brady. He's back. He has some quotes to ESPN on why he returned. We'll look at those, and also we'll get a start on the NFC South draft needs as the draft again sits nine days away. More PFT Live right after this. 